Well, again, good morning. Uh, welcome to the Olathe Campus of Christ Community Church. My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks for joining us uh, this morning as we continue our time in this, this study, this little Old Testament book tucked away somewhere in the middle called Daniel. Let me, let me pray for us, and then we'll look at what God has for us from his word. Let's pray. God, I am so thankful for those words we just sang. God, that you are sovereign over us. Even when it feels otherwise, uh, even when it feels as if chaos and lack of control is spiring all around us and within us, God, that you are sovereign. And so we celebrate you in all of the good times, and we cling to you in all of the pain. And we declare together as your people that you are the one we will follow. You are the one we will trust. And so, God, I, I thank you that you've spoken to us from your word. Give us insight and wisdom. God, I pray uh, that you would give us the ears to be able to hear, even from a story um, that is for many of us so, so familiar. Speak to us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. How did he do it? Daniel, a teenager with everything, everything stripped away from him. Right? He lost his, his name even, his identity, his people, his homeland, everything. He was most likely castrated, indoctrinated, oppressed, abused. I mean, you name it, Daniel faced it. And still, he remained faithful. He refuses to become Babylonian. He maintains his integrity. And he clings faithfully to his God. And we've been with Daniel, even though it's only been a couple months for us, it's been decades of his life. And we've seen throughout, like, you know, Daniel kind of rise to this place of influence because he's a hard worker, right? He works with integrity and cares for the people around him, even the Babylonian rulers over him. And he gets promoted over and over again. He interprets dreams, the handwriting on the wall, all these kinds of things along the way. And now he's in his 80s. This is the last story in Daniel's life. There's more in the, the book of Daniel, a bunch of crazy dreams and visions. We'll look at those next week. That'll be our final in Daniel before we get to Advent. But he is an old man now. End of his life. Still faithful. I mean, just like think about that. 65 plus years waiting in Babylon. Waiting for God to set his people free. 65 years living without control, but faithful. Don't you want to know how he did it? I do. Because I got to tell you, there's, there's one question that every, every year of my life that passes slugs me just a little bit harder. And I just, you know, last month I had another birthday. This thing is a little grayer than I can remember. Um, it's kind of humiliating, actually. Um, my knees hurt. My kids keep getting older. Time just, just keeps march, marching on. I, I want to know, how do I finish well? And, and maybe, maybe you hear that question, you're like, oh, come on, that's tomorrow guy's problem, right? Don't, don't worry about that. Now you've got a long ways to go. And I could look back. My life had a pretty good start. Even the middle hasn't been half bad. And yet I know 
I know that for so many, when they get to the middle, they freak out. Or, or those who get into the upper years and just completely check out. And meanwhile, time keeps racing by. How do I finish well? I want to I get to the end and look back and know that it was worth it, like Daniel. So how did he do it? Well, I just got to warn you right out of the gate here that the answer to that question, you're not going to like it when we get there, just, just to be clear. I, maybe not like is probably the wrong word. You're just not even going to believe it when we get there. It seems so ridiculous and crazy, and, and yet it comes right out of, of this most familiar of the Daniel stories, something about lions, I think. Anybody heard this one before? Um, probably a few of you have. Maybe some of you haven't. Um, but if you have, and for many of us, you've probably heard it a thousand times, I want us to listen with, with brand new ears. Enter into the story like you've never, like you don't know how it ends. Like you don't know what to expect or, or, or what's going to happen. Because I'm, I'm convinced, I've read this story so many times and yet I, I think I've missed it. But I think, I think what we find here is key to that, that, the answer to that question of how Daniel did it, of how he remained faithful. And we often miss it. And so if you have, have a Bible, turn to Daniel 6. That's where we're at this morning. Daniel chapter 6, and last week we witnessed the execution of the, the final Babylonian ruler, right? And this change of power, the introduction of a new regime, the, the Medes and the Persians take over, Darius is now in charge. And so we've seen it, like emperors, empires come and go, and still, like, there's Daniel, right? Doing his thing. And our, our story begins, again, you've got to picture Daniel now. We've, we've done enough picturing him as a, as a teenager. Now, like, in his 80s. That, that's who you need to see in your head. And Daniel, at the beginning of the story, a new, a new ruler in town, a new regime, and already he's being promoted. I mean, it's kind of like by this point, Daniel walks into a room and he gets promoted, right? He does this, he gets promoted. Like, people love them some Daniel in the story, don't they? I mean, he's just, he's incredible. He sets himself apart in every context in which he's found. And so he, he just got promoted, and the new empire... It's broken up into like these 120 regions, it seems like, with 120 leaders over each region, and then three sort of regional directors overseeing each of, each of the others. Daniel is one of those three. And his, his job, at least in part, is to keep the other 120 honest. It makes it pretty clear here. That's, that's what he does, right? He's trying to minimize political corruption, abuse of power, uh, internal theft, you know, kind of the normal, Right? He's sort of the auditor in, in the region. Um, I kind of picture him a little bit like uh, Toby from The Office, right? I mean, it's just like he's, he's kind of that guy, right? At least, at least in the minds of those around them. So, of course, the other leaders don't like him. Just right out of the gate, just by nature of his job, he's keeping them honest. They don't all want to be honest. But that's, that's his job. But it gets worse. Verse 3. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. I mean, remember here, like a huge part of Daniel's success, it's just that he's better at his job than anybody else. He works harder, has a higher level of integrity, and, and is faithful in, in every context in, in which he's found. It's, it's, it's remarkable. And then the high officials and the satraps 
sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Like, just like think about that for a second. They're motivated. And they, they search for anything they possibly can to discredit him, to use against him. And they find nothing. I mean, they, they actually give up looking. I mean, who do you know with that level of integrity, right? It's remarkable. They can't find a single thing. And so they give up. And, and they figure if we can't, if we can't trip him up when it comes to vice, we'll trap him when it comes to virtue. I mean, you know, haters going to hate, right? I mean, you can call it envy or selfish ambition. You can call it greed or jealousy or whatever, right? You can call it racism, xenophobia, religious persecution. All of it, all of it is right here in this story. But at the end of the day, at the very least, it's that when they look at Daniel, they see his faithfulness and they're confronted with their own lack. There's no way they measure up to this guy and they hate him for it. It's like staring into this mirror that just, you know, shows every single flaw. And so, they make an appointment with the king. Oh, King Darius, live forever. King, we've been talking. You, you're the best. Man, king, like you're killing it. Like you're, you're new and you just got here, but still you are like, you, I mean, you're just amazing. And all of us, all of us leaders, we're agreed because you're so neat. Uh, what we'd like to do, we want to make a law. And I mean, conveniently, like Daniel's been left out of the conversation, okay? Uh, he's, he's not there, but they're like, all of us are agreed. We want you to make a law. Uh, you know, one of those laws, um, Darius, you know the ones that, that can't be uh, overturned or revoked or ignored. Like the Medes and the Persians, they had, you know, these, these customs where there were certain laws that even, even the king, the emperor, even, even he was bound by them, couldn't break them for anything. Which is important because they know Darius loves Daniel. So make it, make it one of those laws, O king, and let the, let the command say that for 30 days, no one is allowed to pray to anyone but you. I mean, that's just how much we love you, king. We think you're practically a god to us, and we want to pray to you, and we think everybody else should pray to you, and so make it a law, would you? And for anyone who ignores this command, disrespecting you, O king, they should be I don't know, guys. What do you think? Lions? I mean, that sounds reasonable, right? Let's make it lions, right? And so, like, Darius, I mean, either, either too stupid or too flattered, you know, it's kind of like, a, oh, they love me, they really, really love me moment, right? Either too stupid or too flattered, doesn't even notice that Daniel, his favorite's not there, and he signs into irrevocable law this ridiculous command. I mean, I'm sure there's no way this could go badly, right? Now, I have, I have no idea. I would, love, I would love to peek inside Daniel's head at this moment. We don't know what he thought, what he felt. That's left out. Daniel's most likely the one writing this story down for us. But he doesn't tell us about sort of the internal, like, what is he feeling? Is this like a crisis of conscience? Is he, is he worried? Is he nervous? Is he, you know, is he even thinking back to the, the story of his, his friends, right? They were asked to worship a false god. This isn't that, right? This is not, not pray for 30 days. I mean, it's not that big a deal. Or, or maybe... 
maybe, and I'm, I'm convinced of this, he had to have at least considered the fact um, of how stupid this law was in the first place. Like, how do you even enforce such a ridiculous thing? Like, nobody has to know who you're praying to, or even if you're praying, right? Just pray quietly, close the door, it's 30 days, like, who cares? Move on. But instead, verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. Daniel, buddy, close the window. (laughs) What are you thinking? Got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Some laws aren't worth obeying. And, and Daniel, he has been loyal to a T, right? Mr. Integrity, Mr. Loyal, Mr. I mean, he's done everything with diligence and, and hard work over and over and over again. But this, this is one thing he will not do. And so he does instead what he's always done. And this isn't, this isn't some like foxhole prayer of panic. You know, he's not like, oh God, the lions. No, that's not it. It's what he's done. It's his habit. How many times in his 65 years in Babylon did he look out those windows facing Jerusalem, right, the, the, the city of promise, the, the hope, home, the promise of home, get down on his knees. He's 80 years old. I don't even like doing that at 37. It hurts. And he prayed. How long had he been doing that? Long enough not to want to break the habit. Long enough where death actually feels like a better option. That he'd rather be devoured than defeated. Long enough to know that prayer is better. Friends, I got to tell you, I am convinced this story is not about lions. Not really. I mean, it's cool and we'll get there, right? We love that part. That's not what this story is about. I'm convinced this story is about this moment right here. The thing that that sort of explains how he's been able to do it so faithfully for so long there in that that pagan world where he's out of place as an exile, a stranger, a slave. The secret to his life. And yet he refuses to keep it a secret. The path to finishing well. I'm convinced it's this. Daniel knew prayer is better than control. Prayer is better than control. I told you you weren't going to believe it, right? Are you kidding me? Like, I, control, right? Pick control. That's, that's the one. That's what I want. I take control any day. I mean, have you ever played the, the game uh, Would You Rather? Anybody play this? Um, we sometimes play it as, as a family. That's kind of a great way if you want to like get the conversation weird and morbid and disgusting really, really fast. Ideal family time, right guys? Yeah, 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 we love it. Uh, so let's, let's play for a second um, and be honest. Would you rather be eaten alive by lions or have to be kind of sneaky about praying for 30 days? Hmm, 
Let's see, that's a hard one. Let me ask another. Be honest. Would you rather have ultimate control of your life? Everything. You in control. Or would you rather pray to the one in ultimate control? Yeah, that's pretty easy too, right? Control. I, I want control. I, I want to be in charge. I mean, let's, let's just say for, for example, and I hate doing this because it's, it's humiliating. It, it humbled me when I, when I thought about this question, but like, let's just say somebody banned prayer for 30 days. Like, how many of us would even notice? Like, or, or really care? Like, how many of us would really truly have lives or routines completely in, in, in disarray? As, I mean, frankly, how many of us would be relieved? Man, I'm sleeping in tomorrow, right? I mean, sure, some of us, some of us would miss it. But not enough to be fed to the lions. Prayer is better than control? There's no way. I love control. Or, you know, the illusion of control. And that, that's the thing for me. Listen, listen, I mean, control isn't really an option anyway, right? We, we want it. We fight for it. We run. We spend our lives trying to get it. But it's not an option, right? It's not really an option. Well, prayer, prayer actually is. But even more than that, deep down, deep down, would you really want ultimate control of your life? Would you want to call the shots? And let, let me explain, because as, as the story continues here, we see three reasons why prayer is better. First, prayer is better than control because prayer builds confidence in the face of chaos. Confidence in chaos. Because as you look at the story and, and the verses that continue here, like, who are the panicked ones in this story? Like, who are, the, who are the ones who are running around scheming and, and afraid and grasping, trying to get just a little bit more control? It's not Daniel. I mean, Daniel's got nothing in this story, no control, but he's the one at rest. Everyone else, every other character in the story is panicking, but Daniel. Isn't that weird? And they hate him for it, don't they? I mean, that's why they hatched this ridiculous scheme in the first place. I mean, even just think about that, like, how desperate, how selfish... How evil, like, would you have to be to hatch a plan to get one of your coworkers fed to lions? Stop smiling, some of you. You're thinking about it. You know who it would be, right? Um, but seriously, like, you hear that and you think, oh, yeah, that's, that's awful. Like, can you imagine being that consumed with hate and selfish ambition? I mean, that is no way to live. That's, I mean, how is control working out for them? I don't want to live like that. Or even, even Darius, right? I mean, bless his heart, right? Darius, the, the one who's the most in control in this story, or should be, you'd think. He's a pawn, isn't he? I mean, look how the story continues. Like, so they go to the king after they witness Daniel praying, and they're like, um, hey, a king? Like, remind us. I feel like there was this time recently when you put this law, and it's one of those, you know, irrevocable laws, about something about praying and lions and all that. Does that sound familiar, king? And he's like, yeah, I, I, I remember that. He's like, oh, well, yeah, thanks for the reminder. Super helpful since you brought it up. Um, Daniel, 
the Jew, right? They're very quick to point that out. Pays no attention to you, O king. And Darius's response here panics. I mean, it's, it's, he freaks out, right? And, and not out of anger, which is kind of what you'd expect, right? He's mad. He's not giving me my due. No, he's, he's afraid. He, he's filled with despair, with, with guilt. I mean, Daniel's his favorite. How could he have made such a stupid law? Like, how could he have done something? He's got all this power. How could he have done something so ridiculous? And he knows it. And so verse, verse 14, right? Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. David is si- Daniel is silent in this story. Darius. I mean, Darius almost has, has a nervous breakdown. Darius is the one searching, grasping, trying to find any way that he can set him free. And Daniel... Daniel's at rest. So Darius, he searches for a loophole. He finds none. So he's forced to throw Daniel to the lion's den. And that night, you see even more of, of kind of the internal workings of what's going on in Darius. It's all, it's all about the emotions of the other characters, right? Not, not of Daniel. Daniel's rock solid. Verse 18. Then King Darius went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at daybreak, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. How's control working out for Darius? And I, and I know what probably some of you are thinking. I'm thinking the same thing. Kind of this, well, that's, that's what they did. Right? That doesn't mean that's what I'm going to do if I have control, right? I, surely I'm going to... You know, I would do better than them. Really? I mean, how's control working out for you so far? You feel good about all of it? Every decision? The people around you? And besides, besides which you would you want to be in control anyway? I mean, like five-year-old you? You want that guy calling the shots? Because when I was five, I thought I should, right? I thought I was in charge of the world. I could take it. I knew everything that was best for me. But looking back, are you kidding? Am I going to put that guy in charge of anything in my life? No. Well, then later on, when I was 15, 25, I felt the same. I mean, which, which version of you do you want calling the shots in your life? I mean, I guess now I'm 37. Finally, I've arrived, right? This is as good as it gets, people. Um, and once again, I, I'm convinced if anybody knows what's good for me, if anybody knows what's best for my family, if anybody knows how to live, it ought to be me. I need to be in control of my life. But I have a hunch, giving my track record, that a decade from now I'm going to look back at this idiot and think he was the worst. And yet every step of the way we think, now finally I can do it. Now I should be in control. And listen, I mean, I don't trust myself with control. Do you? Like with ultimate control over your life to make the very best decisions for you and for your family, for your kids, for your work, for the people, the people around you. Do you, do you really think you're going to do a good job with that? I mean, the very thought of it makes me squirm like Darius or scheme like these bad guys. 
what I need, what I'm desperate for is someone outside of me, someone who knows the whole story, who sees me from beginning to end, who knows me better than I know myself, who knows my family better than I know them, who understands what what right and wrong does and, and how one ought to live. That's what I need. Somebody who never acts with selfishness and greed and fear like I do. Someone with all power and love. Trust is better than control. Prayer is better than control. For it builds confidence in the midst of chaos. Second, prayer is better than control because prayer forms us to choose courage over comfort. Courage over comfort. I mean, because we're all, I think, at least most of us, like, we're kind of inspired by Daniel. You know, whether you, you like what he did or not, whether you believe it's true or not, like, we're, like he did the heroic thing, right? There's a reason his story is told 2,600 years later all over the globe, right? But I've mean, got to be honest, like, I don't want to do what he did. I mean, I don't, I don't have what it takes to do that. I mean, do you, right? I mean, it's like, can you, to think about facing your death like he did? Man, I'll, hopefully I'll never have to do what he did. And yet the more you think about it, inevitably, every one of us will have to face what he did. I mean, all of us are going to face death. And every, every step along the way, young and old, we choose courage or comfort. Which is it going to be? The path of, of me and ease and, I mean, the one that, that I love, right? Or courage. I've often marveled. I mean, I'm convinced that you and I, we are arguably the safest people in the history of the planet and the most terrified of everything. I mean, has, has any human ever lived with greater safety and less courage than you and I. And people are watching. Like people whose hopes are radically evaporating around them, the things that they've trusted or, or built their lives on, it's all, it's all falling apart. We see it everywhere. A scared world needs a fearless church. That's got to be us. That's got to be his church, people. All right, so let me, let me get this straight. Are you saying, Nathan, that if I, if I pray um, then I'll have the courage to face the lions or to face my own death. Well, no, not really. That's not what I'm saying. Um, but over time, prayer forms us into the kind of people God created us to be, into people who can actually choose the better way. I mean, because it, it is better to be Daniel in the lion's den with faith than to be Darius up in the palace consumed with fear and shame or to be the schemers, right, consumed and imprisoned by their own, their own hate and their own ambition. I mean, think about this. Our, I mean, our habits form us 65 years in Babylon. Waiting. Three times a day, facing Jerusalem on his knees. 71,000 times. You do anything 71,000 times and you're going to be formed by it. You will be shaped by it. 
And if you, if you think getting up tomorrow to pray 10 minutes to start your day is going to change your life, you're probably going to be disappointed. But if you do that tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day, and the rest of this year, through the end of this decade, on and on and on and on, until one day you will be lowered, not probably into a den of lions, but most certainly into a grave. I promise you, you will not be the same person you are today. Our habits shape us. They form us. And there are a few habits as powerful as prayer in helping us become the kind of people that God always intended us to be before we, we chose the other way, before we rebelled against him. If you want to, to die well, if you want to live well, here's how. Because prayer is not simply about me, right, or what I get. It's not about now or, or results or what I want. And that's, that's the last thing here. Prayer is better than control because prayer continually reorients us toward home. It reorients us toward home. So I don't, I don't know if you know this or not, but Daniel, he's okay, right? I mean, I didn't steal anything away. Took, took, took the drama out of that one. He lives, he's fine, he's rescued, God saves him. I mean, it, it's, it's incredible, right? Um, and, and yet, like, God doesn't always rescue his people. Countless others of God's people throughout the ages have been fed to lions or worse. It still happens today. Terrible, terrible things. But in this instance, for reasons I don't know why, God chooses to give Daniel just a few more years. It looks a little bit like this in the story, verse 20. Again, you know, you got to picture Darius. He's there in anguish. I mean, so much so that he actually thinks there's a chance, right? And he calls out, Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And then Daniel, <laughs> I just would have loved to have been there. He spoke back. O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. And so, yeah, I guess they all, you know, they all kind of live happily ever after. I mean, if you can call death as a slave in Babylon happily ever after, right? Waiting that long. But it does, it ends well. I mean, you know, this particular story, you can feel good about that and celebrate that, uh, you know, except for the, the bad guys in the story. If you want to know what happens to them, you can read the rest of the story. I'll let you do that on your own. Let me just say, uh, Darius is not a gracious man, and the lions were starving, okay? We'll just leave it at that. Actually, it's quite, it's quite terrible what happens. Um, but God rescues Daniel. But he's an old man. Like, it's great, but like, how long is that going to last? He's going to die soon anyway. And most likely, right there in Babylon, a slave in a foreign land. And, and here's the thing. I mean, we, I so often think that prayer is only really worth it if God gives me what I want. Right? I mean, that's even kind of the premise in which we enter into it. God, if you do what I ask, if you give me stuff, if you make my life more easy and comfortable and everything goes fine, then, then it's worth it. Then it's valuable. So if I stay healthy, if my kids, if they turn out okay, you know, if the Cubs win the World Series and I inherit a lot of money at some point, um, then, then it's worth it. And God is good. But I got to ask, do you think anything would have changed for Daniel had he been eaten? I mean, he probably wouldn't have his book, right? But, but do you think, like... 
in, in those moments, um, he would have lost faith, you know, after the first bite or two. I don't. Because he prays toward Jerusalem. Which I know probably sounds weird for many of us. We don't usually pray in certain directions or, or whatever. But for him, for him, it symbolized everything, the hope, the promise, the, the, the belief that God is not done with his people, that no matter what happens, no matter what, whether it's lions or fiery furnaces or death as a slave or whatever else comes to get us, that God promises his people a good end. So yeah, we may not, we may not pray towards Jerusalem, but we pray towards home, don't we? We have to. We pray remembering the promises of God that no matter what happens now, in the end, he wins. Wrongs will be, be righted. That even if I'm devoured, that's not the end of my story. And it'll, it'll be okay. And so friends, I don't, I don't need control. I want it. I forget and I pursue it. I run after it. I do everything I can to achieve it. But I don't need control. I pray to the one who is in control. And I don't, I don't always like what he does. I often don't have any clue what he's trying to do. And yet at the end of the day, I, I believe that he will do a better job with his universe than I would. And he'll do a better job with my life and the people closest to me than I would. And if you don't pray, you just might forget your home. I mean, you might forget what it's all for, where, where you're headed. And if you forget where you're headed, how will you possibly finish well? Prayer is better than control. Now, now I know that some of you, you hear this and you're like, yes. You've got a plan, you've been doing this, you're just sort of bolstered in your, your confidence and you're, you're on it. Others of you, like, you still think I'm an idiot for even suggesting such a thing, and I, I, I get it, I can take it, um, it's fine. Uh, but then there's probably like, I mean, it's not fine, but whatever. Um, there's probably like a wide swath of us somewhere in the middle who maybe are intrigued by it, who are like, yeah, I mean, I think, like, I want that, I want my life like that, I want those habits, I want to look like, like Daniel, but how, how do I do it? Well, let me, let me just give four quick next steps on learning how to pray like, like Daniel. Just four really, I promise I'll be fast. But first, first, you've got to acknowledge how hard it is. If you want to learn to pray, you got to, you just, that's like in some ways, that's the starting point. It's going to be hard. Daniel's not Pollyanna about it. He's disciplined. Prayer is hard work and don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Sometimes it's lonely, right? Sometimes it feels pointless. Sometimes you'd rather be doing something else. And it's hard work. And so maybe even part of this one is like, just remind yourself, if you believe that, that, or you want to believe that prayer is better than control, maybe just find a spot to write that down, wherever, wherever control is hardest for you. I mean, part of me, I kind of want to, I mean, they're listening in this service. I kind of want to like pin my kids down sometimes and like write on their forehead, prayer is better than control, right? We, we need those reminders. So wherever that is for you, acknowledge how hard it is and, and have a reminder. Second, um, which is why it's so necessary, this one, find a good rut and fight for it. You just got to do it. Like, if you want this, like, it's not going to happen. Like, nobody's going to do it for you, right? You have to go out and get it. Plan it, schedule it, do it, and make a habit of it in your life. I mean, like, whatever it is that's stopping you, and you're busy, I'm busy, please, right? Come on. We have time for whatever, whatever is most important to us. Um, 
whatever's stopping you, at least, at least it's not lions, right? Make a plan. And I've, I've tried the, well, I'm just going to pray whenever model, right? Which is really just code for I'm going to pray pretty much never, right? Uh, even with the best intentions, like, I'm just going to pray. That's great. Pray whenever. But like, in, unless you have these set rhythms, set ways and, and methods, it's not going to become a habit. It's not going to be rooted deep within you. I mean, think about it. 71,000 times. I want to be formed by my habits like this. I mean, for me, let me even just say, I, I'm definitely a fellow struggler here. Prayer is hard for me. I'm a to-do person. I want to get things done, and prayer feels, feels passive, right? Inactive. I don't like it. It's hard. Um, but for me, the, the, the rut that I have, this is what, what I found that works, is, you know, I just I start my day, my first cup of coffee, sitting at my desk, and I pray. And it's not because I'm so spiritual. It's just like, anymore, I've done that so long, I don't even, I, just, I, I wouldn't know what else to do, right? It's like, my coffee, I just got here. Computer's not open yet. Like, it's just, it's just what I do anymore. It's not, it's not a, like a special, it's a rut, and it's a good one. I mean, another one is, is every night before we go to bed, we pray together. Um, we've just carved, we've just said since, you know, 14 and a half years ago when we got married that that's something that's going to be a part of our lives. And by now, it's like, it's hard to fall asleep without it. Although occasionally, um, we fall asleep during it. Um, <laughs> that's another problem. Uh, find a rut, fight for it. Um, make it happen. Nobody's going to do it but you. Uh, number three, make it about more. Prayer has to be about more if you're going to sustain this. It's not, it's not just about me, right? If you make prayer all about what, like this laundry list of things you want to ask God to do for you, it's going to get old really, really fast, right? Because no relationship works like that. Like what other human would you want to interact with that's just always asking, asking, asking? Like it doesn't work. You've got to make it about more. And I love, I love like, like Daniel, do you see that he prays with thanksgiving, he just found out he's lion food, and he gives thanks. What a, what a model. I mean, other, other things to add in, you know, worship, adoration, confession, like just letting God know, I, I've blown it here. I know that I've blown it. Would you forgive me? Would you help me? And listening, that might be the hardest part, listening and prayer, right? But it's got to be a conversation for it to be meaningful, I mean, this is, this is why I, I, rarely, I rarely pray, especially in the morning. That's my longer prayer time. I rarely pray without my Bible open. It's almost always open because God has spoken. Like, it's not just one-sided. He, he has told us what life looks like and, and how best to live. He has shown us. He has spoken to us. And then finally, finally, trust the one who listens. You got you to trust that he actually is the one you want in control of your life and of the world. That even when God doesn't do what you want him to do or what you like or whatever, that he's still good. He's still loving even if there are lions involved. And really the reason, the reason we can actually trust him, the reason we can pray, the reason we can long together to finish well is because our God, he doesn't, he's not just like listening from up far away like, you know, taking messages or, I mean, that's, that's not who God is. Our God has actually come. Like, he's entered into this world. It's not theory for him. He's been here. He knows what it's like to be human and and deal with the the brokenness and the pain and the loneliness and and all of the heartache that he knows. And Jesus, when he came, he wasn't spared from the lion's den. He was devoured on the cross for our sake, taking all of our sin and shame, all that is ugly in us and around us, and he took it upon himself, and he didn't stay dead. I mean, like, Jesus, 
He doesn't just walk out of this den unscathed. He walks out of the grave, the tomb, alive. And if, that's, if that is who our God is, if that's who we get to pray, pray to, right? If, if he's the one, then no matter what happens, no matter how hard it gets or things you don't like, whether there's lions or not, right? You, the one thing you can know for certain is that God still loves you because he, he showed us on the cross how much. And that he's continually still fighting for your good and for his glory. And if that's who our God is, if that's, if that's Jesus, if he's the one that we pray to, yeah, it's hard, it's, it's, it can be weird, and, and all of those things, and yet, and yet it's prayer is better than control. And can you just imagine if we as his people actually believed it, lived that way? Let's pray. God. Oh, God, would you convict us, challenge us? God, would you show me the many ways in which I run and manipulate and scheme and strive and panic trying to maintain this illusion of control, all the while forgetting to actually pray? to the one who holds all of it, who already knows how it's going to end, who knows me and my world better than I can possibly ever understand. God, would you convict us of that? Would you forgive us? God, I'm so thankful that because of Jesus, you, you have open ears for us, that we can enter into this, this life, this relationship, that we can know you and have this, this kind, that we can be sons and daughters in your family, and that we can come before you asking of you as sons and daughters. God, I pray that we wouldn't forget. God, in all the hurry and all the distractions, all the worry and the things around us, help us to believe, help me to believe that prayer is better than control. You're gonna have to do that work in us. And so we ask you to do it in Christ's name.